Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So today as we begin the season of Advent in the church year, uh, we're also beginning our Star Wars series here at Connect. Um, Before we really get started, I want to just clarify a, a few things. Our goal with this series is to gain a deeper understanding of Jesus and what he's done for us. So really, this series is not about Star Wars, it's about Jesus. What we're going to be doing is taking this story that's, that's very well known in our culture and using it as a tool to talk about Jesus, applying the truth of the gospel to this, this very well-known story. Um, even if you don't like Star Wars very much, or if you don't really know anything about the movies, with all of the, the marketing and the movie trailers and the memorabilia, It's hard not to have it kind of forced on you. And yeah, that was an intentional, terrible pun uh, that I apologize for. But uh, what we're going to be doing is is try to take advantage of all of this and use it to talk about Jesus. So hopefully, uh, the next time you see something Star Wars related or watch the new movie, uh, you'll be reminded of the God who chose to become a human being just for you. Now, uh, one other disclaimer A lot of times, I've heard Star Wars uh, compared to the Christian faith in in a lot of ways, and especially because people say that the Force is just like the Holy Spirit. It is not. It is not. Uh, The Force is defined in the movies as an energy field created by all living things that surrounds us, penetrates us, and binds the galaxy together. This is very, very different from the Holy Spirit, who is not an, an energy field or a mere power or uh, certainly not the collective soul of all living things. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. And so uh, as we go along in the next few weeks, we're going to be kind of pointing out where the analogy between Star Wars and the gospel is helpful, um, as well as some places where it starts to break down. And hopefully uh, when we're done in in a few weeks uh, after Christmas, uh, we will come to know our Lord Jesus just a little bit better as a result of all of that. So, uh, today we're beginning where um, the Star Wars series, the original series, began, A New Hope. Now, I realize that even though this was the first Star Wars movie that came out, it was episode four. Um, Now, for us, this is week one, although I suppose if this Star Wars series is a really big success, maybe I'll come back in like 20 years from now and and do like a prequel sermon series that that will have a lot of hype and build up and then be kind of disappointing. Um, (laughs) Regardless, uh, despite its title, A New Hope actually begins in a fairly hopeless place. The evil empire has taken over most of the galaxy and, and seems to have a stranglehold on just about everything and everyone. In the very first scene of the film, uh, we watch helplessly as Princess Leia is captured by imperial forces as she's trying to get some key intelligence to the leaders of the rebellion. Now, right before she's taken captive, she has just enough time to record a message using the droid R2-D2. And she sends him off with C-3PO in an escape pod in hopes that they will get to the right person. Now, the message that she records is as urgent and desperate as it has become famous. This is our most desperate hour. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. (laughs) 
Obi-Wan Kenobi is her only hope. The only problem is he is an old man living out in the middle of nowhere by himself. Supposedly, he has what it takes to help because he was once a powerful Jedi, but by all appearances, he has hung up his cleats and thrown in the towel, or at least taken the towel and thrown it around himself and called it a robe. It seems that even Obi-Wan Kenobi has his doubts about the power of the Jedi. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. So while the Jedis were once powerful forces for good, thanks to the Force, now they are all but extinct. Their fire has gone out of the universe, especially after Obi-Wan Kenobi himself is killed off in the very first movie by Darth Vader. Now, in most people's eyes, all hope was lost. C-3PO says it best in his miserable lament. We seem to be made to suffer. It's our lot in life. Do you agree with that? Is it our lot in life to suffer? There's quite a lot in our universe that would seem to support this way of thinking. Cancer chronic illness, the the painful loss of ones that we love, natural disasters, wars, and massacres of hundreds and even thousands of people by an evil force that seems to gain power and influence with each passing day? Where is hope when, when all that we read about and hear about is death and destruction? But lest we think that this is somehow unique to our time and place, uh, let me share with you a few verses uh, from a poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And not just because I've always wanted to use the word Wadsworth in a sermon. Um, I think that'd be a good pen name, Caleb Wadsworth Adams. Um, Anyway, the real Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, on Christmas Day of 1864, uh, wrote this poem called Christmas Bells. And uh, it's been adapted into the the Christmas carol, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Many of us are familiar with that. Longfellow's wife had died just three years before um, in, in this freak accident where a candle fell on her and set her dress completely on fire. Um, he ran into the room and, and unsuccessfully tried to put out the flames by wrapping his arms around her. Um, not only did his wife not survive, but, but he himself was severely burned. And, and actually, I found this out as I was reading about this, his famous beard came about as a result of his inability to shave Uh, after this happened. Losing his wife, understandably, affected his mood and his writing for years to come. And to add to the ongoing sorrow in his personal life, it was a time of civil war for the nation he called home as well. His entire country, the United States, was in upheaval. And then in early 1864, his son Charles was wounded terribly in a civil war battle. So on Christmas Day of 1864, Longfellow pins this poem. He begins by describing the joyous sounds of Christmas bells and their songs of peace and hope. But things turn gloomy rather quickly. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And this famous verse. 
And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Longfellow's poem so poignantly expresses the the hopelessness I think that we all feel from time to time as, as we experience the world around us. But what's far worse is that it's not just evil forces out there that are cause for concern. You know, hate is not confined to, to ISIS or, or to whichever political party you happen to not belong to personally. Hate is rooted in the heart of humanity. It's in my heart and it's in yours. We chose hate instead of love when we disobeyed God's first command. And we do so again and again in our lives whenever we fail to follow God wholeheartedly. We are our own worst enemies, sinners through and through, hopeless and helpless if left to ourselves. When we catch a glimpse of the true darkness of our own hearts, it can be easy to doubt. It can be easy to wonder if Jesus is enough. To say with those two men on the road to Emmaus, as they unwittingly said to the risen Christ himself, we had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. But perhaps there's no hope after all. But even in our most desperate hour, all is not lost. Hope remains. Despite the grim prospect of the rebellion's chances, still Princess Leia placed her hope in a tired old recluse of a man. Many believed that Leia herself would restore freedom to the galaxy. And even though Obi-Wan Kenobi would be killed, even he knew that it was not the end. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Throughout the history of this planet, ever since humanity listened to Satan and ushered sin and death into the world, despite sin's near-complete rule and stranglehold on everything and everyone, there were those who refused to give up, who kept holding on to hope listening to the words of the Lord and speaking them boldly and faithfully, no matter how bleak the future or even the present appeared to be. We know them as prophets. And Isaiah is perhaps the most prominent of them all. We heard from him earlier in our service as he spoke of God's servant who was on the way. Isaiah was writing to a people in exile, but soon to return home. And their hope is ultimately found in this servant introduced here. This servant will suffer for his people and bring forth justice on the earth. This servant will be endowed with the Holy Spirit of the living God. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope, Isaiah says, which is to say that this servant will bring hope to the farthest reaches of the world, shining light into the darkest corners of the planet and into our hearts. King David says basically the same thing in Psalm 65, uh, words that we've always spoken together, already spoken together. Um, Let's say them together again. By awesome deeds, you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The hope that we have from God knows no bounds, and our hope is found in exactly the same place as the hope of the prophets found in one and the same servant of God, Jesus Christ, the one promised to Joseph when the girl he was to marry was found to be pregnant, the one who would save his people from their sins. 
the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who has trod upon those seas and calmed their raging fury with a word. In our most desperate hour, Jesus is our only hope. We cling to him like a rock in the midst of the storm. Scripture tells us that the hope we have in Christ is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So we hold fast to him. We hold on to hope himself. For God has fulfilled his promises spoken to and by the prophets. He has sent his servant to establish justice on the earth. The day longed for by the prophets for ages and ages would and has come. The day when hope was born. You know, Princess Leia may have said that Obi-Wan Kenobi was her only hope, and, and it didn't really look too good that she considered the fate of the entire galaxy to be in his hands, and especially when he dies by Vader's lightsaber. But we begin to learn throughout the film that it is actually not Obi-Wan Kenobi, but Luke Skywalker, who is the new hope for the rebellion. Now, Luke doesn't really seem like much at first, um, aside from his very annoying, whiny voice. He lives on a wasteland of a planet called Tatooine, uh, not so much in the middle of nowhere as on the very outskirts of it. Now, Luke himself describes his planet by saying, if there were a bright center to the universe, you're on the planet that it's farthest from. Maybe one of those islands that Isaiah was talking about in his prophecy. And yet, despite his ignominious beginnings, Luke becomes a hero, delivering the death blow to the Death Star and giving birth to a new hope throughout the galaxy. I didn't think you could hear things in space, but uh, Star Wars proves otherwise. Now, all of you Star Wars fans out there know that in that scene, Luke took advantage of the Death Star's only weakness. The Empire didn't consider a a small one-man fighter to be any threat, but they left themselves susceptible to destruction when little, old, insignificant Luke was able to get past their defenses. Just like Luke, Jesus didn't seem like much at first. He had humble beginnings too, of course, born in the obscurity of a Bethlehem manger. He came not in overwhelming shows of of power, but as a single infant baby. And in doing so, he undid the powers of darkness. When Christ was born, was when hope was born. It's no wonder the scriptures call Jesus our hope of glory. His birth among us has ushered in a brand new hope. A hope that resounded in the skies over the fields where shepherds kept watch over their sheep. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. For Christ is born and in faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. God's servant has arrived bringing justice here to set the world to rights. You know, our friend Henry Wadsworth Longfellow knew this and believed it with all of his heart, all of his broken heart. And despite everything in his life, here's how he ended his poem. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. 
The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, because God's servant is our servant. Because Jesus is born, bringing justice to the nations, restoring hope to the galaxy, and us sinners to God, setting everything right. Hope is born in Bethlehem and in us. For according to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To Joseph, the angel said, he will save his people from their sins. To you, I have already said and will say again, he has saved his people from their sins. He has saved you from your sins. Peter reminds us that our hope is not in ourselves, it's in Christ. It's an inheritance that we've been given. It's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and completely unearned by us. It was won by the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, Satan couldn't win. If he struck Jesus down, Jesus would become more powerful than he could ever imagine. Then again, he always has been. And now, the death and resurrection of Jesus have secured our eternal inheritance, kept in heaven for us, guarded and guaranteed by God himself. And we ourselves are protected by his power through faith, as Peter says, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now that's something to look forward to with hope. Paul says, in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So what does that look like? Well, as I pondered all of this, I was reminded of the vision statement of our church body's Michigan district. Now, to be perfectly honest, most of the time, like mission statements, vision statements, they don't excite me too much. Um, But for whatever reason, for me at least, uh, our district's vision statement is different. Um, It says in part, our congregations are filled to overflowing with people of hope. Our living hope, indeed our joyful and confident life and witness to the world, comes from the transforming power of the gospel and the resurrected Christ. This living hope inspires our dependence on, devotion to, and commitment to the word of God, worship, prayer, and each other, and moves us to take the love of Christ to our family, friends, neighbors, community, and the world, in word and deed. That's what it means to be born to a living hope through Christ's resurrection from the dead. That's our motivation. That is our mission. So let us wait For the Lord who has been born among us with the hope that has been born within us. Hoping in his word and waiting for him more than watchmen. Wait for the morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now next week, hope is born in the person of Jesus Christ, but the world and its authorities don't like it. Uh, So join us as we will see how the empire strikes back. Until then, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen.